Hello, this is Lady Sarah, and you are listening to The Basement Lounge. Hey guys, this is Mike Shea, and I want to talk to you about Anchor. Yes, Anchor is the brand new free way for you to get your podcast career off and running without any cost to you. Simply download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast to give you everything you need in one place for free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. Their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds play magnifique without having to worry about all the costly setup. They'll even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all of that. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. They set you up with awesome sponsors. All you got to do is record a script, kind of like what I'm doing now, throw it onto your show and start making money. Once again, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get your podcast career off and running right now. Just do it already. Grab a drink, pull up a chair. Welcome to the Basement Lounge, ladies and gentlemen. We have reached episode 50, our season one finale. We've we've, we've made it. We somehow managed to make it all this way. A uh, couple hiccups along the road, but we, we got there. And we are so happy to round out the very first season of the show with a very, very special guest who you might know from many places around the internet. You might know him. From the top 10 show you might know him as the one of the co-hosts of the geek buddies as the co-host of the cinephiles you might know him as the voice of a frog drope robot from a transformers cartoon you might know him uh food commercials you might know him from his own stuff uh, in the outlaw nation he is john roca john welcome to the show man thank you for having me on man i'm looking forward to it mike it's great to see you good to see you too um yeah the Transformers one was was the one that got me. Um, <laughs> my, my little brother was was going back and watching Transformers cartoons on yeah. Netflix, and he gets to an episode, and I'm like, I know that voice. <laughs> I googled it, and I was just like, bull crap. <laughs> um, we're gonna get we're gonna get into all of it. We're gonna talk yeah. all about you, and and uh, but the first thing you know, with with the world being the way it is, mm. what I like to ask my guests when they first come on is just, John, how are yeah. you, doing, man? Today, today I am a little exhausted. Uh, uh, it's been a long day. I've been hosting a bunch of shows today, you know, and hustling and trying to build up the brand. You know, uh, we've kind of hit, we just passed a six month anniversary in the Outlaw Nation. So mm-hmm. it's starting to feel like, okay, what's the next iteration? What's, you know, I'm never satisfied. I'm never 100% happy, which is why I keep do, going and keep creating and keep doing new things. And, so today is just one of those days where I didn't say no to anybody, and I just felt like doing a bunch of shit today. So uh, and we can cuss on here, right? Oh, you, you fuck it. Okay. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. But yeah, so to, I am in the midst of a five show run today. Uh, just did I did the morning show, my morning show, the SEN show, then hosted the sports show. Then I did about a twenty minute drop in for the Ethan Irwin match we got going on on Twitch. I did it on Twitch. The match is not on Twitch. It's on pay-per-view. Okay. And then, uh, and now I'm doing your show. And then after your show, I jump onto the wangers. So it's a busy day and I'm doing okay. Thank you for making time. It's Please. <laughs> for you, anything, man. For you, anything. But 
I appreciate that. Uh, we, yeah, we're going to get into, we'll get into the schmo down. We'll get into, of course, the outlaw nation, you know, six months <laughs> to, have, to have launched, you know, finally launched full into your own channel of, of content creating and to make it six months, honestly speaks more than a lot of some people give up after one. Really? And wow. It's, okay. It's, it's, well, it's, it's the world we live in. People expect instant. They, they, they make a yeah. video instant, instant virality and, and they're not willing to put in the work, you know, they don't realize takes takes years <laughs> it does it takes time you know not everyone can jump out the gate with seventy seven thousand subscribers like dan merle a lot of us have to fight to get to that spot so you know much respect to danny boy but that was uh you know it's a tough uh it's a tough mountain when you look at it to climb so you just got to keep pushing and innovating and changing and exploring and and, and you know not, and not being too precious about it. i think that's the number one thing that I'm discovering is to not be too precious about the things that I've created. The things that work really work. The things that don't work and I'm trying to fight to figure out how to make them work um, might have to take another, you know, um, iteration might have to be something else. And so those are the things I'm learning too, not to be too precious about the things that I create. You hear that, you hear that in, um, in the creative space a lot. You have to learn mm. how to get your darlings. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No matter how much you believe in something, if it's not working, it's not, it's not working. You yeah. see, that, see that in stand-up, too. No matter how much I might think my joke about the letter Y being a part-time vowel is funny, it doesn't mean anybody else is going to think it's funny. <laughs> so, True. Um, yeah, that, that, I try to make that work. Not so much. Uh, <laughs> so you are you were originally from uh, over here on the East Coast, correct? Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I was born in Philly, but I was raised in Virginia since I was one years old. Yeah. And both your parents were from Bolivia, correct? Yeah, South America and Bolivia. Yeah, my dad from Cochabamba, my mom from La Paz. Uh, but they met here, uh, ironically enough, uh, oh. not in Bolivia. So, yeah. So they just, two, two Bolivian immigrants just happened to meet up in the States. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really interesting because they got married on their fourth date, uh, which I guess wow. is how it was back then. But um, uh, my mom met my dad when my uncle had brought my mom on a first date to, you know, cause they're Latino, they're old school. So that's, you meet the family first before you go on the date or while you're on the date oh. to kind of see if they approve or not. Well, my mom slid her number to my dad because she had like, she could tell she wasn't be interested in him when she saw my dad, it was like poof. And so she, she slid her number to him. Uh, my dad is 10 years older than her at the time. What well, is, it was. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they got, they went out behind my uncle's back. Then they kept, then he found out about it. My dad told him this is happening. I hate to break it to you. This is happening. Uh, and then they got married. Yeah. Fourth, fourth date. Yeah. He asked yeah, it was all this time, man. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that whole guy, guy goes, girl goes on a date that's chaperoned and meets the guy's brother and dates. Right. Him. Yeah. Yeah. It's Romeo and Juliet. Um, totally. <laughs> only with the with the much happier ending right right and then so you so you grew up you grew up in virginia um yeah. and then college was and i know college was kind of a mixed bag with you yeah yeah um my first trip through college was a mess and uh just for a number of reasons uh and then i just joined the military um and was doing that for a little bit and then started going back to college uh to get my aa degree later on in my 20s while i was still in the military and then eventually uh went to florida state in 97 and uh that was that was a life-changing experience like i don't think i don't think my life would be anywhere near as exciting or crazy or have as many adventures if i had just stayed in that small town of virginia 
the the first run through college, you know, from yeah. for me was was that first taste of independence from mom and dad. Yeah. Um, again, I kind of crashed and burned pretty hard. Was it kind of the same situation for you? Quite ironically, completely different in that okay. um, it was a commuter school. So I didn't get that independence from my mom and dad. I had to live at home for the first couple of years. I was managing a video store to be able to pay for college. Um, I think the mistake I made was that I was so like, it was such a culture shock to go to college versus high school. I couldn't make friends with anybody. I was having battles uh, with, uh, with people in class. Like I just was not in the best space. And then I stupidly joined a fraternity. Now this is not against anybody who has great experience with a fraternity. My experiences were horrible. Right. Um, I was the only liberal in an ultra conservative um, uh, fraternity, so it just did not work for me at all. And in Virginia, uh, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And so, um, and I saw. I mean, it was the worst. I saw guys like cheating on each other's girlfriends, wives cheating on each other's wives. I saw ex- insane amount of drinking, sexual assault, all that kind of shit. And I just was like, this isn't, this isn't for me. Uh, and, uh, and I left, I left, I, I remember going to see Malcolm X and there's a line in the movie that says you should never be a member of any group that you don't, uh, research for, you don't do enough, you don't get enough knowledge about. And it just kind of hit me on my head. It's like, I joined the fraternity just to be a part of something. I didn't really join the fraternity because I wanted to join the fraternity. So that once again, it's, that might not be the fraternity's fault. It was just a, a bad mix overall. And it wasn't for me in the end. And um yeah and it's and then i left school i left school and went to the went into the military it was kind of the the decision there yeah i i had i see and see i had i had the opposite thing with the fraternity where mm. i was being courted by one ah. and then just kind of in my own meeting people and, and going to some of the events which is kind of like it's just it's not my thing you know? yeah i could kind of see i guess you know for some of the red flags ahead of time yeah and, uh, just you know it there was a there was a level of like kind of like you said it's just like i just wanted to make friends yeah yeah but um the military so you, you joined was it the army yeah went in the army i um uh, i remember like i said i was managing that video store at the time it was 1990 i think and uh a recruiter came into the store he had been in the store many times you know i'd seen him a few times and i guess this one time and and the thing is i was so depressed at the at the uh university that i had started to put on weight like i wasn't working out and i I was just in a super depressed place. And I remember feeling maybe the first inklings of suicidal ideas, you know, the idea like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm disgusting. I'm unattractive. I don't think I'm going to go anywhere. And at the time I was really obsessed with finding love, obsessed with being in love and, you know, all of that back then. Cause it was feeling probably I was searching for something that I was trying to, I didn't get while I was at home and it's not, not a fault of my parents necessarily. It's just right. who I was. So um, this recruiter was coming through and I remember I was just so desperate to get out of the situation I was in. I felt like I was on a one way street straight into a wall. And I said to him, I said, I know you're a recruiter. How quickly could I be on a bus to basic training if I come down tomorrow morning and sign up? And he said, I could have you on a bus in three weeks. I said, okay. Wow. So the next morning, I, I remember as a friend of mine, uh, Robbie, he came. I think his name is Robbie. He came, I, I haven't seen him. But he, uh, we drove over there. I took the test. I got like a 94 or something like that on the ASVAB. So basically, I had my choice of whatever uh, um, branch of the service I wanted to go in. Now, if I had been a little bit smarter 
I'd have gone into the Air Force because the Air Force really does train you for the post-military world in many, many ways. But I felt like my commitment was to this recruiter who said it could get me on the bus. And it maybe the maybe the Air Force situation was like two months from now. I could go to basic or something like that. I don't remember. But I took the base. I was not going to go Marines. It was, wasn't for me. And uh, Navy just didn't seem right at the time. Uh, even though I was a huge Top Gun fan, it just didn't seem right at the time. Uh, so I joined the, the Army. And I was on a bus three, three weeks, three months, three weeks later. And I didn't tell my parents, by the way, before I signed up. And because I was over 18, I was allowed to do it without their permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my dad and mom were supremely pissed and hurt for, for quite some time. You know, that you just, that you went or that you did it without talking to them. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Well, both really that I did it without talking to them. They were hurt by that, but they were, they were pissed by that, but they were hurt by the fact that I would, just, you know, kind of possibly throw my life away or, or, you know, put myself in harm's way and danger. My dad, I remember very clearly, my dad said to me, he's like, you can't even take discipline from me. How are you going to take discipline from the military people? Like, you're not going to be able to follow their rules. You're always rebelling against everyone. He's an outlaw from the beginning because you're always rebelling against my rules. Uh, Cause my dad and I used to have hellacious fights uh, verbally and a couple of times physically um and so uh he was just concerned that i would be in a bad situation mm-hmm. and he wasn't wrong uh mike because i'd seen full metal jacket the year before or a few years oh. before and so in my mind i thought that i was going to be like private pile so i was super scared that i was going to get a soap party at some point mm-hmm. you know so there was a lot of a lot of going into it yeah it's like watching jaws before you go on a beach vacation <laughs> or in the water or in the yeah. <laughs> oh. um it's a uh, you know, one of the things that initially drew me to you as a Schmodown competitor and as an online personality hmm. is that there's a level of of everyman relatability to you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, uh, you know, similar, and, and for me especially, you know, similar situation. You know, my my dad and I had a very rough relationship growing up. It wasn't hmm. until I got to be an adult, and we kind of got past that and by that i mean i quit being a shithead of a teenager that um we were able to kind of work past that and, it's tough and, and, to do it's tough to do it, yeah <laughs> there are still some that i look back on even now and i'm like nah i was right that was <laughs> love you dad but right. uh, dad, i had you there um but uh you know it's interesting you, you bring up like you know the the idea is you can't even follow my own orders mm. when you know, last it there which i think was actually one of the reasons why i i never because i I had the recruiter, you know, my, the summer before my high school, my, my senior year of high school, you know, they yeah. started calling the house like, Hey, you ever given any thought to join? And I was like, I, I had seen a few, I had seen a few good men and was thinking lost <laughs> time. So I was like, I don't know. I thought about like maybe like joining up and becoming an MP or something for the guard. All right, cool. We'll be at your house tomorrow. And then the, these guys showed up and I was like, Oh, it was a fleeting thought like two years ago, man. <laughs> um but there is that there is that idea of like uh, some people do go there to learn to get that sense of discipline in their life and and did you did you kind of come out with that oh yeah i think it still serves me today that whenever i you know really think i can't do something or really think i don't have strength to do something i remember hey you survived this you know and it really came in handy after my father died i mean that was maybe some of the worst three years of my life and it was like every time it got to be too much, I'd remember, hey, man, you were able to survive this. You were able to get over this. You were able to get past this. And, you know, that was difficult enough as it was. So if you can get past this, you, if, you, if you could get past that, you can get past this. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of that uh, for myself personally. So, yeah, it's always come in handy. I mean, 
going back to college and studying all of that. Like I have a very strong discipline about things like that. This is why the outlaw nation six months, you know, I rarely miss a show. Um, and, uh, but that's born out of the idea of wanting to do that. And my allegiance is to this and my dedication is to this. So there's a discipline factor that really gets involved, you know, when you were in the military, what was your, like, were you a boots on the ground infantry? What was no, your, I was a 31 Charlie. I was a radio telephone operator. So, okay. you know, yeah. In charge of moving troops around, relaying, um, messages about troop movement, all of that. You know, when I went in to the, um, Average lifespan of a radio telephone operator in Iraq, I think it was the first, yeah, the first Gulf War, was like seven minutes, something like that. That's what they were thinking. What? Because the antenna you put up is like a 60-foot, 75-foot silver antenna in the middle of the desert. That is going to stick out. In Vietnam, oh, wow. it was even less, you know, less because of like the anomaly of the jungle and all that. So it, it had a, its own um, dangers or perils. Uh, and I remember that distinctly when I was in. So yeah. So even 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 in the in the army, you were already like in that realm of broadcasting and. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I've always, yeah, I've always. I mean, I was an actor in high school, and you know, I, I wanted to be an actor uh, when I first went to college, and I just didn't have the guts. Didn't have the guts because my parents were always like, "Oh, you know, you're not going to make any money. You're going to be poor. This is a terrible thing," and so. They tried to steer me into other things, but I was always drawn back to it. And uh, I even DJed my first trip through college for a wow. couple of years at the local radio station because I was just like, I, I need, I have to scratch this itch. Um, and so, yeah, so I've always, yeah, I've always been involved in some form of broadcasting, I suppose. <laughs> I miss working in radio, man. It was so much fun. I, I wish I could get a job in radio that could do like Sirius XM. I want to know how much those fuckers get paid right? to host those shows from their bathroom. Like, I want to know how much yeah. they get paid because if, if I can do that with my eyes fucking closed. So it's like, okay, how do I, how much, how do you get into a situation like that? You know, I worked for, I worked for an FM rock station in college mm. for, for two years and I was, I was the board operator on, on nights and weekends. And I used to beg to let them have, because we had no programming on at this time. I was like, right. Let me have an hour. Let me <laughs> have an hour of, you know, and I was, I was more into the heavier stuff and I was like, let right. me have an hour of like, Metallica and, <laughs> and just just from like eleven to midnight, low, low, low dollar risk, and they wouldn't let me do that. But they didn't have a but. But it, it made me mad because it was like you know you get Steve from accounting, yeah, who comes in every month, records all the air breaks for the month because they oh. they pre plan that stuff out, ahead. right, right. And it just it was I was also eighteen, nineteen years old. Who the hell was I? <laughs> you know? But um. Yeah, it's uh, radio. You know, I did it all through college, and mm. uh, I think it's part of the reason why I still do this. Is man, it was just fun. Yeah. Well, you got it. Everyone tells you you've got a great radio voice, so it's just a matter of getting yeah. yourself in the position, man. You got a great radio voice and a great radio face too. So. <laughs> <Hey> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, theater kid in high school. I, I remember yeah. those days. My mom and dad too were kind of the yeah, you can do this, but have a backup plan. Right. Of course, always, always. <laughs> they always, they always mean well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And again, it ended up being a good idea. So yeah, true. You know, it too much. Did you continue doing the? Because uh, was by the time you you left the the army and were back mm -hmm. in the college then in Florida State, were you still? I mean, you were still on the actor train, right? Yeah. Well, no, actually, you know, because I when I left the first college uh, and mm -hmm. went into the military, 
I, you know, I, w- I had only done one play, I think, at that college because I was okay. kind of hiding it from my mom and dad. Like I was going to rehearsal, but I would tell them that I was going to study with friends at night. So it was like I would stay late at the college. So um, they didn't find out till much, much later that I was doing I was doing that. So, wow, so you, you were you were what's his uh, what's the kid's name from? Uh, oh, yeah. Robert Sean Leonard. Yeah. I, Except my yeah. dad was not Kerr Woodsmith. Yeah. It wasn't that kind of a situation. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he just didn't want it. He just didn't want me to do it. And so, you know, because he was worried about me. Um, uh, but, uh, when I went back to college, um, I remember coming out of the military or, or beginning the process of coming out of the military. And I remember thinking to myself, well, what do I really want to do with my life? What do I really want to do? Well, you know, I'm 27 years old, uh, or 25, 24, when it was when I started going back to college and I was like, I want to go back to college. I want to get my degree. I didn't get a chance to get my degree the first time through. So I started slowly, but surely putting it back together, going to the junior college or I'm sorry, no, a community college. And I got my A degree, and at that point, I, I took a year off and went and lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, with my best friend, who's still my best friend now. And we worked at a TV station together. And I was a master control operator, and he was a, he's yeah. the host, he was a sports host. Um, and in that year is when I kind of took a little bit of a break, and then I started submitting to colleges, and I got accepted to Florida State. And I remember I I brought the letter. I was opening the letter or whatever. I read the letter to my friend, and I was just like, "Do I really want to go to college? Like, do I really want to do this? Like, do I really want to go? I mean." kind of making a big strong choice about acting and blah 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 i mean they can just stay here and work and so he goes tell you what why don't you go interview one of the guys who's a news who's the who's one of the uh, uh directors here for the for the news sit down with him have a conversation with him and you tell me whether you'll be happy with that kind of life for the rest of your life because you could absolutely do that till you're dead uh or you retire and i was like all right so i sat with this guy I remember todd sands that was his name Charlottesville, Virginia, NBC 29. We sat and talked for like, a, I don't know, half an hour. And I asked him about everything. And he was very kind to find time to talk with me. He's a busy job. Uh, and he, and as he was talking to me, I could see the, I'm stuck here for the rest of my fucking life vibe coming through when he spoke about it. And I just remember being like, yeah, no, that's, I've always had dreams for something bigger. So that kind of, uh, conversation. I was just like, yeah, all right, fine. So, and I went back to our apartment that night and he was just like, well, what was your conversation like? And in the end, uh, he was like, see, I told you, this is not, if you're here, it's almost like Ben Affleck and David, he was he, in uh, Goodwill. He's like, if you're here in six months, I'm, I'm going to move out because I don't want you. I don't want to be around you if you're not going to pursue this. Cause I think you should. Right. And so it was his way of kicking my ass to go to Florida state. And he was right, man. I mean, I remember driving down to Florida State for as soon as I stepped out of the car and smelled the air down there, I knew I was in the right place. I knew Tallahassee. Yeah. I just knew it instinctually. And so my dad and I that weekend, we got an apartment for me. Um, and then I moved my stuff down. Uh, maybe a, a couple weeks later or a month later, I moved my stuff down. And that was that. Started the process. You know, There's there's something about finding the right college. Yeah. You know, some people find it right off the bat. They're cool with where they're yeah. at. Well, good for them. I, you know, I bounced around a bit, too. Mm. And there was something about where I finally landed on what would be my alma mater, where like I remember taking like that first day and just kind of being like, "Yeah, this is it." Yeah, it's it's, it's like when you find the right car or the right house. <laughs> yeah, you uh, just know. you just you you just know, man. Yeah. Um, and then and then and then I believe for, Florida State. Now that's where you met. Isn't isn't that where you met Christian? Yes, Christian. Uh, I mean, and and the thing is, Christian and I knew we were friends and we knew each other, but. I didn't hang out with Christian like, you know, in those in the what are the places that were 
um, you know, the boxing, all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't do any of that. Like that was all Christian doing it on the side. I had no idea about any of it. And I'm sure he invited me. And I'm sure I was like, yeah, I'm not watching on knuckle boxing in the middle of the street kind of shit. I'm here to get a degree, man. I got no, I don't need to be getting into any. And you know, that's what you do in your twenties, young twenties. You're like, Oh yeah, this is going to be fun. But me, I was 27, 28 when I went, when I finally got to Florida state. So for me, the focus was getting my degree, getting A's in every one of my classes, uh, and soaking up as much of this as I could, you know, it's, it's, and so Christian and I knew each other and we'd hang out every once in a while, but, uh, you know, we, I wasn't hanging out at his house or anything like that, you know, while I was there or in, the, in his apartment or anything or going to these, uh, fights. So, you know, you well, go, we respected you, each other, you know, you want to go hang out in this fight club because <laughs> eventually you're going to have to fight. Yeah, right. I think that's the eighth rule of fight club. If it's your first night you fight. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was. It was uh, cool to be down there. I met a lot of great friends. I mean, the Geek Buddies, uh, Michael is, uh, I met him at Florida State, Michael Vogel and Shannon oh. as well. Yeah, Shannon was at Florida State for like a half a sem- or like semester or half a year. Uh, and then he went off and did his own thing. So those are lifelong friendships that I still have lifelong friends. I mean, the woman that just shot my headshots is someone that I was friends with back in college. She was, she's, she was a very sought after professional photographer here in los angeles and now she's moving to atlanta so i mean like oh. i have a number of friends and it's why we roll so deep we just have a number of friends that uh, are lifelong friends now that i met at florida state so yeah it was the right those, choice those college friendships man there's there's yeah. nothing like them you know i you know i have i have two friends from high school that i still talk to yeah, once in yeah. A while. It, something about the people you meet in college especially when the ones who are like you know in in your in your school yeah studying the same things and you have similar career paths and there's, there's a bond that forms there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. Cause I, I went in when I was finishing school, I was, I was the old man on campus too. Cause I had <laughs> taken so much time off. Um, and there was, a, there was a kid, my senior year, I call him a kid. He's married now, but wow. as I was, you know, getting ready to graduate, he was having his, his freshman year. And, and now he's my, you know, my creative partner, my, my, my writing wow. buddy. And, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 so interesting you know like you mentioned like you got you've got mike and shannon who you yeah. guys go back that far and now you're hosting a podcast together and and uh it's just it's it's crazy how 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 long those settle in for yeah yeah um yeah. how did you so how did you come about making your way out to los angeles uh well i think i'd always figured like i would always loved movies i mean even as a kid i was a fan of movies and there was this decision to be made when I was heading towards my graduation. And by the way, I graduated in 99, but I stuck around for another year running a production company and making money off that production company. To fund, yeah. To fund my move to Los Angeles. I was able We're to make about, about that. <laughs> was that? We're talking about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What was the production uh, company, man? What was that like? Yeah, it was, uh, I, I, it was all for plays. So I was a producer and director and it just was, you know, it's a happy accident. Um, uh, I wanted to direct Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and I did it um, as an experiment in, at college. And by the way, I'd had no training as a director. I just knew what I know works. And instinctually, I just knew. And so, uh, and at the time at Florida State, you could petition their, what can I, their, there was like a committee you could petition and pitch uh, plays and pitch yourself to direct it or produce it in their black box theater. So uh, I did Glengarry Glen Ross. And when I did Glengarry Glen Ross, that really kind of opened people's eyes. And then when I played the lead in Titus Andronicus, that uh, opened people's eyes about me as an actor. So I was like, I was building a 
resume there, a, a knowledge or a brand, for lack of a better term. And so um, when I graduated, I was like, well, I want to expand out because I, I directed a couple of things. And I said, I want to expand out of the college. Like, I want to try something professionally. So uh, 1200 Men was something that I always wanted to direct, but I wanted to do it with a multi-gender cast and or gender-blind cast and a colorblind cast. Uh, and so um, I set about doing that there in Tallahassee. I started a production company. I originally was going to produce it and hired a director, but he backed out at the last minute. Um, and so I, uh, in essence, had to direct it. And uh, thanks to my friend Andre Gordon, who encouraged me every step of the way, I was able to do it, you know. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons about how to speak to people, about how to get people to get to where they're going, how to, uh, you know, motivate different people to do different things depending on who they are as people, as actors. So all those things kind of I had to learn by, you know, uh, trial and error because, again, I hadn't been trained. I hadn't been trained in any of this. I just knew what visually worked for me. So um, I ended up shooting it in the I ended up doing it in the round. So I completely wow. had, I rented bleachers and had them installed. Like it was a whole thing, you know, and uh, I just had a vision for it and I used the VOMs. Um, so, and it got great reviews and, and people loved it. And I made a, I made a good chunk of change. Uh, and then I directed another one. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but I directed another play and then made the money off that. And from there, that's what gave me enough to, to uh, fund my trip to California, to come out to California. That's so cool. I just, I love those homegrown grassroots stories like that. <laughs> yeah, I, love I, don't, that I don't know any other way to do it, man. No one's ever been in a position to throw me money. I, I always have to fight for it or whatever. So it's my job. It's my life. If you ever find out the position needed to get money thrown at you, please like just, you know, post it online. <laughs> well, being attractive helps. Being young helps. Being pretty helps. All Shit. those things help. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. I had none <laughs> of those at the time uh, and barely do now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a fun, uh, fun situation. And I learned a lot uh, as a director, I learned a lot as an actor, I learned a lot as a people person. Um, but I was proud of it. I was really proud of the time I did there. Directing, you know, directing and producing versus acting. Do you um, is you know, I know you've done a lot more of, of the acting um getting back into directing and producing is that something you i know you kind of do that right now with the outlaw yeah. nation yeah um but you know like in the theater scene or maybe like independent film is that something you've given any thought to a film film would be interesting is i think i'd have to have a great cinematographer on set who is not who is not egotistical you mm -hmm. know someone like greg toland who taught wells you know yeah. and wells taught him so if i could work in conjunction with a great cinematographer that i think has my best interest in mind then yes but if I, uh, but um, other than that, I, I actually, it's funny. We were talking about this. I was actually thinking about that the other day. And you know, now with all this COVID situation, everything happening, I wonder how much more open theaters would be to take a chance on a guy who's only directed two or three things in his entire life. And it was 20 years ago, you know, would they let me come in and direct something? I mean, we were watching an episode of Perry Mason and um, uh, I saw that the I had no idea black cab drivers existed back in the forties called for this company called Jitney. And, uh, she at Lindley, we were sitting there and she's like, Oh yeah, August Wilson. She used to work at the Boston theater there where August would preview his plays. And so she said, I used oh. to, I used to come when I come to work, I'd make sure to come a little early so I could watch his plays going on and blah, blah, blah. And so she's like, yeah, he wrote an incredible play called Jitney about black taxi drivers back in the, in LA in the forties. And I was like, holy shit. So, um, 
so I was excited by that. And and so maybe I'll, I might get a copy of the play and read it. And if it sounds interesting, then I might start pitching it around town as something to do as if I, you know, have a lot of time or anything, but it would be fun to direct the play again and see if I could pull it off again. You know? So yeah, I thought about it for sure. I studied August Wilson in high school. I never knew that or in college. I never knew yeah, that. Yeah. Right. I took a, I took an African-American literature class in uh, college and that was one of the most fascinating classes I ever took. Oh, nice. Oh, I, I learned. I learned. I, I mean, that's where I discovered fences. Um, talking about August. Oh Wilson. yeah. yeah to yeah. me to this day, it's still one of my favorite plays. Yeah. Um, Getting it, you know, and then getting, you know, you've done a lot of voice acting and, you know, we've talked about voice acting quite a bit on this show. You know, when we talk about uh, stand up, we tell people, if you want to get into it, you know, write some jokes, go to an open mic. If you want to get into music, right. pick up an instrument, learn to play it. Getting into voice acting, it's not like, <laughs> you know, even a, even regular acting, it's like go audition for a play. Right. Voice acting, on the other hand, is is a it's such a different ball game. And yeah. and the channels to get into that world aren't as obvious. Mm. Um, is that something you can shed a little insight on? Well, I mean, my story, once again, my story is uh, unique and cause there's, and you know, and when we hosted that podcast for a long time or show, Yuri Lowenthal, we hosted two versions of a show about interviewing people in the voiceover world, you know, and first one was called um, cast of characters. We did that over on the defunct geek nation. I think it's defunct. And then we did something called Super Animation Game Time over for Geek and Sundry, where we bring guests in to talk about their experiences as voiceover artists. And, you know, the one thing that we came, the one thing that constant was the constant narrative of all those shows is that there was never one way in uh, to become a voiceover artist. There are many, many ways in, and you just never know how it'll drop in your lap or how it'll present itself. For me, it was that, again, my friend Andre Gordon, who had, once again, lifelong friend from Florida State, he had kind of hustled his way into William Morris. He became a voiceover artist at William Morris Endeavor. Uh, and he um, he was good friends with an assistant at the time. Uh, forget her name. Uh, but he was, I think Terry was her name, and he was good friends with her. And so he she kind of walked him in there, and they liked his voiceover reel, and so they took him. Well, he said he, he found out that they were looking for voiceover artists who spoke Spanish. So he pitched me because I was fluent. He pitched me to the agent who was representing the, those talent at the time. Uh, and uh, he took me. Uh, I auditioned for the Scarface video game. He liked what wow. I did with it. Uh, I didn't book it, but he liked what I did. So he said, what I'll do is I'll back pocket you. And then uh, while I'm back pocketing you, which means I'm not going to sign you until you book something. I will give you auditions or send you auditions. You can come in to audition here. Uh, in the meantime, work on a reel. In the meantime, figure out what this career is and blah, blah, blah. And so that's what I did. So, I mean, it was my friend. It's one of those Hollywood things. It's who you know. My friend saw this possibility. He reached out to me. I went and auditioned for it, and the guy really liked me. And I was represented from by William Morris for voiceover all the way up until about two months ago here in, in, uh, in Los Angeles because of... Uh, they shut down their entire voiceover division for anybody but celebrities because of uh, the you know, high cost overruns of COVID and everything like that. Oh, yeah. So, so now I'm on the hunt for a new voiceover agent. So, but uh, yeah, I mean that's it's kind of like a weird, weird world, man. That's that's just that's so <laughs> usually usually and you know for for me it, you know I've done like some of like some serialized podcasts and stuff yeah. like that you know which which are fun um, and you get you get to flex a little bit like that. But yeah, it's it's 
it does seem from kind of like what you said it does seem to be one of those things where everyone's story i think everyone's story for getting into their career is different in general but for voice mm-hmm. acting in particular it's like there's there's no two stories from yeah. anybody that are alike um as far yeah. as uh you know voice acting versus versus like live acting do you have a because you've done some tv and and, and obviously theater oh yeah theater is where i live and breathe man I, yeah. I i'm not good i don't like being on camera i don't like acting for on camera i mean i'll do it um i'm getting a new agent oh i've got a new agent now and i, I just took new headshots so i'll be getting back on the on the audition train for commercials oh. and possibly theatrical stuff um, but theater is where I live and breathe, man. I, it, it's why I do well in live events, man. I just I can feel the crowd. It's instinctive. It's organic within me. And so when I feel the crowd with me, man, I, I just I roll with it, man. I love it. Love that energy. And so um, it's it's like a drug. It really is what people say. It's why so many people who love the theater stay in it for so long. It's such an incredible drug, man. There are days I miss it. There, there are days yeah. I, I did it all through college. Yeah, and, uh, just you know, the, the the last one I did was I did we did the uh, the Trojan women. Oh yeah, right. I was, I was King Menelaus. That was fun. Nice. That was fun. I all you know because my whole role is to stand there and have Helen try to seduce me into not having her execute. Spoiler <laughs> alert: I have her executed anyway. But right, right. <laughs> uh, that was fun. That was funny. The, the armor they put me in was was not built for a guy my size, but it's what we had. <laughs> um, I couldn't move very well in it, and so they were giving out fake awards at the end of the run, and they were like, "For most, for least likely to move his arms, the award because <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't move. It was, it was embarrassing. That's great. It was fun though. Um, so, uh, how did you meet Steve Morris to come around to put together the cinephiles? Oh well, Steve and I knew each other as friends for a long time through our friend Michael Vogel, the geek buddy Michael Vogel. Yeah. Um, uh, I think Steve had, I think Michael had met our friend Vicky, who's been on the the cinephiles. She was on the When Harry Met Sally episode. She was an actress here in LA. We had just gotten to LA, and they came ahead of me. Like the guys, the 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 Florida State crew were about six months ahead of me um, because they had graduated. Like I said, I'd stayed after to do production company. I also worked for a um, uh, accounts payable firm for a, a women's domestic violence shelter for money. Like I was doing that as well. So really proud of that. Um, and I earned enough money with that and the theater stuff to fund my trip to LA. But so they were ahead of me by about six months and uh, they had, you know, already started auditioning for plays. Michael at the time was still uh, considering being an actor. So he took a job, at, uh, you know, or he uh, got cast in a play. There was a Greek play, the Greek play, one of the Greek plays. I remember what it was at the time. Um, yeah, I can't remember what it was. One of the female named ones. I can't remember what it is. But um, so he met Vicky and Vicky knew some people and those people knew Steve and Karen, his wife, Karen. And so there was like there was the Florida State crew. There was about, I don't know, 20 to 30 people. And then there was the USC uh, uh, Cal crew, the California crew. And we melded our groups together. So it became like a super group of like 40 something people. And Steve was one of those people along with Karen. Um, and so we met through there. And then Steve and I and uh, you know, all of us, we'd all get into random conversations. Whenever we'd all get together, philosophical conversations, movie conversations, we'd go to see movies and you know go out afterwards and drink and talk about it, debate it, and get into it and all that kind of fun stuff. And so... Um, when this career of mine 
started taking off after Christian had kind of introduced me into the space. Um, I remember at the time I was hosting a bunch of the after shows at Collider as a freelancer and then hosting my own stuff and top 10 had already started to happen. And I think I was doing the Yuri Lowenthal one as well. So at a party randomly, when we all got together, some party we were all at, Steve came up to me and he's like, Hey man, you know, uh, it'd be fun to do a, a pick a, a, a podcast with you. I was like, yeah, I'm just so, I'm so busy with all the stuff. I don't know. And he's like, well, uh, and our friend Jonathan Blue, who's now married to Saryu Blue, and Saryu is a, a you know a, a, a you know up and coming actress or famous actress. She's been lead in, she was the lead in I Feel Bad on NBC, and then oh. she, yeah, she was also in a couple. She's an Indian actress, a couple other things, yeah. uh, Indian descent, right? She's not, yeah. not from India, but Indian descent. And uh, so um, uh, we were originally going to call it. Well, we kicked around the idea. Was, to me, it was just a playful idea. Like we kicked around the idea of calling it. I don't know. What do you think? That was going to be the name because like that's the game we would play with each other when we would all hang out and talk about movies. We'd always end whatever diatribe or soliloquy or monologue we were on about a film and end it with, uh, well, I don't know, what do you think? And and that's the kind of – and so we kind of talked about the possibility of it. Well, Blue kind of fell off because he's doing his own thing. And then Steve kind of reached out to me one day and said, hey, man, I'm, I'd really still like to do this. Um, if I pay for everything and set everything up and kind of be the person who – um, is hosting it, would you be willing to do the show? And I go, I'd be happy to do the show as long as you understand it's 50-50 and we, and I don't have to do any of the technical stuff. I don't want to pay to put it on iTunes. I, I don't want, you know, this is what you want to do. I will happily co-host it and bring my mass, my audience. I don't want to say massive because it times over 20,000, but I'll bring my audience to this and we'll see if we can work. You know, and so um, that's how it started. That's essentially how it started. I, I hope he told the same story because that's how I remember it. We'll fact check uh, it later. Uh, yeah, feel free. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I remember it happening. And, groveling, and, begging him for for a shot. Uh, yeah, right. Me begging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, and Steve wasn't. And Steve didn't beg or anything. He Steve was just he just wanted to do a show. I mean, I think Steve was in a place where he's like, I want to do something to talk about movies because he loves movies as much as all of us do, you know? And so uh, it was a great idea. And dude, I don't, I had no idea it was going to become what it became. And uh, I, I tried to walk away from it a couple of times because I just become frustrated. I don't know if you know this about me, Mike, but I like to run my own things. And so when yeah. I don't run my own things, I become very <laughs> um, agitated. I become very like uh, paranoid or suspicious or whatever. Um, and so I become, you know, I just start to get antsy uh, if I don't run my own thing, you know? And so, um, that's why the outlaw nation runs through me. It all runs through me. And, um, I just prefer it that way for my own sanity. So, yeah, I get it. I, I, I do. I do get it. I, yeah. I'm a control freak. <laughs> like I didn't to, say that. I didn't say no, that. I, I, said, I, I said, I'm a control freak. Okay, all right. um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, I, I like to know what's going on and, yeah. and I like to make sure that when it's something I'm involved in that, it's going the way I want it to go. Yeah. It's, right. Um, I, it's why I make my own. It's why I direct my own short films. It's like, do you want to yeah. be in mine? It's I, yeah, I, I'd rather, I'd rather run the show myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have a hard time, 
probably another reason why I wouldn't have made it in the military. It's like I, I would get issued an order and be like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, here he comes again. What do you got to say now? Yeah. It, it yeah. would basically be that. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd be, I'd be some weird combination of Gomer, uh, of, of private pile and, uh, whatever rich, uh, uh mayonnaise and mayo. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Mayo. Yeah. Right. Or a gentleman. Um, <laughs> the, the, the I got nowhere else to go. Yeah. The TV station I work at, I swear we run that movie every month. I've seen that movie more oh, than, really? <laughs> more than like anything. Yeah, God, God forbid, God forbid we we get a syndicated version of like the Dark Knight or something. No, we get one of the longest freaking dry, and it's a good movie, but driest military movies yeah. on the face of the earth. <laughs> I'm gonna get, so get fired. Um, <laughs> but so and and then there's the Geek Buddies, which is which is you and Mike yeah. Vogel and and Shannon and, yeah. and and you know you're wearing a superman t-shirt right now yeah you've got, you've, i see star wars something or whatever over your shoulder there <laughs> oh, yeah. um so it's around you know you're you're a geek and yeah. it, it's one of those you know where where we see your persona a lot of things it's a lot of people wouldn't immediately think geek right off the bat you yeah. know and and how much has like that that geek that geek culture like been a part of your life like your whole life like when did that really oh yeah happen? I mean from the beginning dude I used to get beat up in uh, you know middle school high school all the time uh, up for liking the geeky stuff or being into the nerdy stuff and you know it wasn't cool when I was growing up it's cool now it wasn't cool when I was growing up <laughs> well yeah I think so um, nerds rule the world now um, for better or worse uh, I, I yeah I mean for me at the time. It was something you hit away, you know, uh, it's purposely it's why I never got into D&D, &D because I was like, if I get into this, I'll get my ass kicked all the time and blah, blah, blah. And so I stayed away from it all. And now it's all cool. And now people have D&D &D parties, you know, all the hips people love to do RPG stuff. You know, at that time, you didn't do that. You know, I, I, I you know, I envy the people that do it now. I'm like, I, I wish that had been a cool thing for me to do back then, but it wasn't. Um, so, never yeah, too late to get into it. It's never too late. I guess. I guess you also, you also need to have at least a free hour a week, which it seems like you just don't. I so. just don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so like, yeah, it was. But, you know, the ironic thing is this, like I had to adjust my life at 15 years old because I was getting my ass kicked all the time and I was just frustrated and tired of it. And my, I, don't, I remember one time getting chased out of a soccer practice by these two older dudes who just laughed their motherfucking ass off at me running and crying because I didn't want him to beat me up anymore. And my coach did fucking fuck all. And uh, it was probably why pro he probably was friends with the dude's dads and thought it was funny to watch the little Latino kid getting chased out of soccer practice by his two white fucking buddies. So for me or his buddy's kids. So for me, that was the moment that I, you know, I, I remember going home. I remember, I think it was, I think it was the fact that I went, um, cause those guys bullied me for like two or three years and I don't, uh, Alan Stevens and Wade Ware, that's their fucking names in Virginia. And awesome. I don't give a rat's ass if anybody hears it, but like those guys were such complete fucking assholes to me through high school and yeah. middle school. Um, and I remember one time I used to go pick up my sister from elementary school. And I remember one time they were waiting for me behind one of the short, so I would take the shortcut through the residential areas instead of the sidewalk. And I remember them waiting behind one of the fences cause they had, I guess, I guess they'd been scoping me out. Uh, taking these shortcuts to go pick up my sister because I picked her up almost every day from elementary school. And I remember uh, I come around the corner one day and Wade to stand there and I'm like, ah, fuck me. And I'm just like, uh, hey, hey, man. And I'm just trying to walk past him and they like move in front of me and I'm like, shit. 
And I'm like, listen, I'm just, I don't want any trouble, man. I'm just picking up, I'm just going to pick up my sister. And before I could finish the sentence, he clocked me so fucking hard in the eye, sent me right down to the ground, man. Uh, for no reason. I mean, no fucking reason. I was just a fat, tubby Latino kid with a bowl haircut. And that's why. Uh, and so I remember, you know, them kicking me a couple of times and then just me lying there in the fucking uh, fetal position, just covering my eyes and co- or covering my face and covering my body, trying to cover my body. Uh, and then they walked away and I got up and I remember I still had to go pick up my sister. I could not go home and just like take care of my injuries. I had to go pick up my sister. So I remember walking uh, uh, there to the elementary school. And I remember as soon as I got close to my sister, she just burst out crying because she was so like horrified at the welt in my, on my eye and, and just then the dirt on my clothes and the look of me. And so um, she was just like, what happened? What happened? I said, you know, those guys beat me up again. I don't know what to do. And we walked all the way home. My sister cried all the way home. She's such a sweetheart all the way home. And I remember I went into the, I waited for my dad to come home and we sat down at dinner and he, I told him what happened because he saw, and I told him what happened. And I said, dad, I don't ever want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I know you don't want me to fight. I know you don't want me to throw hands because you had bad experiences, but in this country, dad, you got to fight. You got to figure out how to fight. So, uh, summer is coming. I know that I can't take another semester of this. So whatever it takes, I need you to help me. And I need you to encourage me to do it. Uh, and so to my dad's credit, we went to fucking Kmart, got myself a 10 speed bike and we got a, 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 a set of cheap ass Russell athletic weights, red, right. white, and blue plastic with concrete blocks inside them. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and just, start, and I spent that whole summer working out. Like you couldn't tell me what to do. I, I would do sit-ups under the armoire or the chest of drawers with a towel put under my toes. And I would do sit-ups till there were blisters on the top of my toes. I would just keep doing it and doing it. And I had a, a proclivity. Like I could do it. It wasn't something that was difficult to me because my dad had been a weight build, a weightlifter in Argentina. So like kind of those genes kind of passed on to me. Uh, and so my body reacted quickly to the working out and it was great. And so when I came back to high school that semester, the same guy, Alan Stevens, tried to fuck with me. Uh, we were a gym class, first semester, first day back at school. Did our gym class. We're all standing in line to leave, waiting for the ding of the bell. And he starts to push me from behind, like to go through the door. And he's like, come on, Rook, come on. I was like, the bell hasn't rung. And he's like, come on, Rook, come on. And so I spun around and I threw my elbow, my forearm rather, into his fucking neck and pushed him against the wall. And I said, you're never fucking touching me again. Those days are done. I will fucking kill you in front of everybody here. And I remember this uh, uh, this uh, black kid who was with us, Jesse. I can't remember Jesse's last name, but Jesse was like, "Oh shit!" And like, and I just went, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And I told Alan, I said, "You can tell Wade too. You guys are never fucking touching me again," because I had I had built out, you know, I had built out, and it was just like it felt so good to be able to tell the bully, like "fuck you," and so. My whole life, I've been trying to tell the bully, fuck you, you know, it's kind of been my thing. And so, um, yeah, and from that point forward, I kind of stayed a geek, but I also kind of explored, you know, working out. I went on dates. I had sex. I was doing stuff in high school that I never thought I was going to be able to do. And all because I started working out and it radiated confidence, you know, and so thing I got, I got my first plays when I was 15, 16 years old. So all of that it just all blossomed out of this situation uh, where I felt like I didn't want to get beat up for the rest of my life. And so for that reason, I think people see me and they don't think geek, they think jock or they think, 
uh, you know, overt dude, and also the military stuff. So they don't necessarily think geek, but I am just as geek as any fucking person who's never lifted a weight and has got acne or has got like, you know, stringy hair or whatever. I'm just as much of a geek. I just have a different approach to it. Uh, and that has caused, you know, it's caused me sometimes to not get certain jobs or people don't ask me to be part of their shows because I don't necessarily radiate it. So it's just kind of the game now. And so that's why I built my own channel because I know what I can do and I know what I can talk about. And I like bringing people in uh, who do that as well. So, yeah. And, you know, we, we, do, we mentioned earlier on nowadays, you know, geeks are kind of sexy nowadays. I mean, look at, look at Joe Manganiello. Right, right, right. Who's my who's my golden rule example? You know, Mary Vergara. <laughs> first of all, screw you, Joe. We get yeah, it. Shut uh, up. <laughs> and then, but he's going to you know the children's hospitals with the the D and D starter kits. And yeah, them. right. Which is great. Right? Which I love, and I know I know he and Sophia have talked where he like he has a he has a D and D room downstairs, and the Big Show comes and plays. I love that the Big Show plays D and D. That's my yeah. I just, those massive hands. With a little D twenty in it, and yeah, just, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is it is that kind of world now where we're starting to see where these people who we've seen as you know the um, you know the the cool good looking people again, yeah. Joe, you know Mila Kunis is play and Dave Chappelle oh. play World of Warcraft and right. and D like you wouldn't believe, um, and we're we're seeing a lot more of that come out now. Yeah, it's cool. It is cool now. Yeah. Uh, I hate. I still hate the Big Bang Theory, but it is cool now. <laughs> it's not a geek show. I don't care what you don't mess. You, you don't cross streams of the geekdom, and expect to get away with it with real geeks. It, that show yeah. is just for fun for people who are middle of the road geeks or who only think these guys are funny to watch. It's not a real geek show. Well, it's it's such a it's such a caricature of what geeks are because every yes on the show who's a geek is the most socially inept you could ever imagine it's like i know yeah. people who are way geekier than that who get yeah. like way more than i do because <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the metric apparently it's um all, it's confidence man it's yeah. it's the number one thing it's the key to it all is confidence man everything after that is um is ancillary and i know with people it's like oh well you know i've been confident before it's like eh, you gotta not care if you get it or not because you've got something else outside of it. That's confidence. Like, you know, you walk into a room, damn right I deserve to be here. Damn right I deserve to be in this room. Damn right I deserve to have eyes on me. Those are those things you have to develop over time, you know? And so just, it's, it's everyone's got their own journey to get there. That's for sure. And there's also that fine line between confidence and arrogance. Oh, of course. Of course. So easy to step over. Yeah. Um, when you confuse one for the other, yes, absolutely. So now we get into now we get into I'd be remiss if we didn't if we didn't spend a couple minutes just, yeah. just talking about the movie trivia showdown. You know, it's it's how I was introduced to you initially <laughs> that and the flash after show. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. You watch that? Holy shit, man. All right. I, right, right on. Been, been around, I've been around a minute. That's, <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Respect. Um, and, uh, you know, Christian Harloff comes to you and says <laughs> we're doing a wrestling-esque movie trivia show <laughs> yeah i don't know how else to just just what what like we hear this what are your thoughts going into it 
you know was it instantly like a hell yes was it was it skepticism like what was that initial reaction oh pure unadulterated excitement pure unadulterated excitement i couldn't wait to do it i couldn't wait to compete i couldn't wait to show what i can do i was so excited to do it um and when he said i need a heal i was even more excited to do it because he said no one's gonna understand what i need you get it you're a professional wrestling guy you get it and so i was like yeah what do you need he's like well i want i want to do this this and this and so i was like great yeah let's do it um i've got an idea for a character and he's like yeah i want someone who's like outside the realm and look we'll fight to the end of our days of who came up with the outlaw i believe i came up with it he he says he came up with it but the general overall structure of it we both came up with um the costume i came up with um but yes, that's how it all. And it was all during conversation over the phone. And I remember, and people can go back and look on my social media all the way back around this time. And there's a picture of me with the hat on and an NWO shirt. And it says, uh, the outlaw is coming. Uh, and it was for a Smowdown thing. And so it was like, that was the beginning of the, of all of that. But yeah, it was, you know, as soon as he came to me, because Christian had always been good at kind of guiding me through this thing. I didn't always listen to him. And, and, and you know, because I got my, I got to walk my own path. Uh, but he was always good at presenting these possibilities or these opportunities for me. So that was certainly one of them that I was excited to jump into. And I had no, no idea where it was going to go. But credit to Christian, from the beginning almost, he said, like, if this thing takes off, you're going to get a shit ton of followers. You're going to get like people attention, blah, blah, blah. Trust me, it's going to come. But you've got to win and you've got to you know, win a title and you've got to get in this situation where people. And so it was all of that. And, uh, you know, he was absolutely right about that. I mean, my my followers absolutely blew up after I got in the Shimodon and Collider. Like, the combo of both really kind of elevated uh, where I'm at uh, now. So, um, you know, hard work on both sides. Hard work on both sides. So, yeah. And you've, you know, going through, just going through that that history, you know, with mm. winning those belts, uh, you know, people saying, who, who's the angry guy in the V for Vendetta mask? Um, why, you know, <laughs> yeah. why, why, why do him and Scott Mans have such a crazy rivalry? <laughs> um, yeah, man. God, I love, I love Scott Mans. Me uh, too. I, uh, we were joking with Steve last time about how one of my, my one of my favorite episodes, of course, is, is the Blade Runner episode. Oh, yeah. I said, except for the fact that I have to keep my hand on the volume dial at all times, because as soon as Scott starts talking, I have to turn it down a little bit. <laughs> But uh, and then you get in, you go going through the showdown, and then the live events start taking off. Yeah, uh, and then of course the everyone knows the gif uh, of 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 Roka winning the title and the mm-hmm. and the shock and the surprise. Um, was that was that feigned? Was that genuine? Like, like oh my god, are you kidding? Yeah, absolutely genuine. I had no idea who directed the Burbs. So at the time, I didn't know if Dan was right. And look, he's the greatest of all time. So in my mind, I was like. Well, maybe he's got it right, you know, and so um, when he said it, I was just like, gosh, is that right? So I just had my arms folded and I waited for Christian to say the name. And when he said Andrew and he said the outlaw, I completely lost it because, uh, you know, look, everyone said I was going to lose. He's the unbeatable Dan Merle. He beat Mark Ellis, Clark Wolf, Mark. He made mincemeat of everybody uh, he played. Uh, and he did that Mike Tyson thing where he beat you and then go over and lift your hand up and hug you. And, you know, he did that thing, you know. And so I was determined not to have – and this is before Dan and I became friends, right? So for me, Dan was a screen junkies entity, right? Yeah. Uh, and I remember that day Dan was like super late to the taping. 
And I was deep into meditating at the time. And remember, that was also the time where I had, um, I think I just attempted su- or tried to attempt, su- uh, attempted suicide earlier uh, that right. year, right? Because I beat Riley to have the opportunity again. I beat Riley a second time to have that opportunity against Dan after he had beaten Mark Ellis. Um, and I I was deep into my meditation stuff. That I'd lost a shit ton of weight because of my depression. Um, so like I was in the best looking shape of my life and mentally I was in a good place as well because I was recovering from that and, and working my way through it and meditating. So when Dan was late, all I did was go and uh, on the couch, lay down on the leather couches that they had a time at Collider at the old office. And I put a jacket over my face and I just started doing my meditation. I put on my headphones and I started listening to my meditation exercises, the, the meditation podcast, which is a great podcast. Mm. They do guided meditation, which I like. And so mm. um, it was just getting me in the right. So I no point was I ever intimidated by Dan that day. Um, and everyone expected me to lose. So I had nothing to lose. So I walked into that match and I just was as relaxed as I could be uh, and went toe to toe with them. And yes, I had a couple of outbursts or whatever, but I always play with passion. That's nothing new. Trust me. Uh, that's nothing. Uh, so, but it was just like, it was all. And then when it happened, I was just so shocked. Um, and of course, Bibbs runs up and gives the hug because uh, uh, he was a horseman at the time. Oh, but he yeah. didn't. He, but he didn't miss the opportunity to say yes about himself hugging me. So, right. <laughs> uh, you know, he did make it about himself as he tends to do. And uh, and uh, but I I remember feeling very gracious to Dan for having played me. And that's when I I did to Dan what he did to other people. I went over and and picked him up by his hand and shook him and and gave him the hug and. It was nice. And then I grabbed that belt and fucking lost it, you know? And so it, it was an in, incredible moment. And, uh, you know, when you spend a year going after something and it actually happens for you, it was the first moment I felt like this was a sports league. You know, it, it, you, you, you see so many teams who lose it in the final game the year before and it motivates, like the Chiefs just did, right? They lost in that AFC championship to the Patriots. Next year, they come back and they win the Super Bowl. It just gives yeah. you motivation and fuel. So, um, yeah. So yeah, it was totally authentic, totally shocking uh, that I I won, and uh, it was a great day. It was a great day. And now all this time later, you're <laughs> gearing up for where you know. But when this episode drops, we'll we'll be just a couple of hours away from a big match against Irwin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I am scraping to remember. Have you guys faced before, Ethan Irwin? Yeah, yeah. he beat me for the title. Oh, that what that, that was, was Ethan. Yeah, he took the title off of me, bro. Right, and then I lost the triple threat to him and Bibbs. I was the first one knocked out. So, and you know, we just did a thing on Twitch, and he's very confident that he's going to beat me. He's like, well, you know, I mean, I beat you twice, so you know, I just think it's going to happen again. And so I love that. I love that. He hasn't been around in a minute. Um, yeah, well, he lost to well, he beat Snyder after yeah. Snyder couldn't get his five pointer, and so he was ready. Um, and so, you know, he says he's been uh, studying animation, looking at stuff. And, you know, I, you never know what to expect from Ethan. So I'm just focusing on me, man. If I can feel comfortable, relaxed, like I did against Dan, if I can go into the match against Ethan, very relaxed, very like Zen, I think I'm going to do fine. Um, and I have a chance to win. If I go in overhyped or unconfident like I did in the last two matches against him, I'm going to flame out and lose. That's just how it works. And so... Um, I just have a, a quiet, small little belief inside me that I've got what it takes to beat him this time, and, and we'll see if that happens. It reminds me of, and you, you were mentioning the meditation prior to the Dan mm. match, 
of there was a there was an image. I don't remember if it was Riley or Wendy who posted it, but it was a picture of you backstage sitting like cross-legged on the floor. Oh yeah, the mask, <laughs> the hat on, and just completely just in your own space. And and yeah. to me, that rings true. Of you know, that's where you need to be. You need <laughs> yeah, to be. thank you, man. Um. John, I could, I could talk to you all day. I know you're a you're a busy, busy guy. Uh, you know, we'll 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 wrap this up here with just, oh, okay. you know, just want to just want to talk to you real quick about just you know we we've talked we've talked to the career and we've yeah. we've talked we've talked the home life. Let let from from uh, from from the youth and then the home life. Now you know you hmm. look to where you come and you and 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 so you're you're living in Los Angeles with yeah. your your girlfriend of how long now? Uh, it'll be two years, August 11th. And how's that going? It's going really well. I'm very happy. She's so great, um, so supportive. We have the best of time together. And, yeah, I mean, you know, we're both prickly. We're both alphas. um, But we also love each other, and we bust balls, and we just just have fun, man. And um, we spend so much time together because she's an introvert, and yet we're never really fucking bored with each other, you know, and um, the affection's always there. The, uh, the desire to be around each other is always there. So to me, it's, it's uh, what I've been waiting for my entire life. So, and it's easy and it's organic and it's natural. Um, and I never felt this way for anybody. And it is, it's even weird to say I never felt this way for anybody because it's like, it just seems so natural that it, you can't even put it in the same terms. It's not even belong in the same universe. You know, it's just its own thing. And I love that. Yeah. Is she, are there ever moments because, you know, you, you are, you know, to, to, to be in the creative space like you are, yeah. we, we can sometimes become a little insufferable. We, we, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fully aware of the fact how much I piss my family off. I tell yeah. them nobody come through, nobody come downstairs. Nobody, nobody right. go through this door, stay the hell off Netflix. I swear to God, I need the internet. Right now. <laughs> um, do, do you ever, do you ever feel the eye rolls burning into the back of your head at all? Or, or is, is she very cool with all of it? Oh, no, she'll tell me. She doesn't, she, she doesn't like <laughs> sit on it and stew on it. No, she'll say, like, well, when we were actually, we were joking about this yesterday at brunch because she was talking about, because I was saying to her, like, we were talking about my old ex girlfriends. Just say, I don't know, randomly came up in conversation because uh, I've had some terrible, terrible ex girlfriends. Uh, and, I just said to her, I said, I guess I seem to always seem to choose introverts. I don't like extroverts as girlfriends. I think they're great people, women who are extroverts, but I just don't like, and she's like, yeah, because you want the spotlight to be on you. And I was like, no, no. I said, she goes, well, how many time? how many minutes do you think we talk about you a day or a week? And I said, um, I said, it's a lot. And you know why? Because it's usually 75% of you telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. So therefore I am the focus of this. I am the focus of our conversations because it's you. So it was very, very funny. Uh, and both, and she laughed at it and she was like, oh, all right, maybe you're right. <laughs> so it's, it's like, you know, so we do spend time talking about my stuff because I'm, you know, because I do, I do seek her counsel and I re- respect her counsel so much. I really do. Um, and she's someone I turn to first to get advice about anything. I trust her that much. And by the same token, I think once she fully dives into this photography job, we are going to have conversations about her career and what she wants to do and blah, blah, blah. And so those are the situations that are going to come up where we start to make her the focus 
of our conversations because I want help to help her get her stuff off the ground and become successful doing what she's doing and become happy doing what she's doing. It's really the most important thing. It's as terrible as these days can be and exhausting as they can be, I'm happy doing it, you know, and that's kind of important for me personally. That that really is the key. And that's that's what led to the start of this show, even is 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 because the show mm-hmm. that I was doing beforehand and you know we were running our own podcast network, it, it got to the point where it stopped being fun and it just felt like work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and that point at that point when it just feels like work, if I want to do that, I'll just go to my job. You know? Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to do that. So, <laughs> um, I agree. Um, John Roca, you are always, you know, uh, an absolute pleasure to talk to. Thank you. You're, you're a pleasure to have on on the mic and on camera. I'm always excited to see what you're going to be up to next. Thanks, man. Um, I'm so grateful that you've let me come along for the ride as in the ways that I have with the Outlaw Nation and 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 with Top 10. Yeah. Um, I've gone from calling you someone that I uh, admire and respect to calling you a friend mm-hmm. and I'm very grateful for that and I'm grateful that you uh, took time out of your ridiculously busy schedule <laughs> to, to come on the show today to, for our season finale especially I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it dude it's my honor honestly man I, I've grown to enjoy your company and your friendship brother so I, I, I can't thank you enough all the work you're doing on that ultimate Schmodown show and, and handling all things and bringing in uh, Mina as a new addition to the show it's been fantastic to see you build that thing out and it's been you know it, it, when you attach your name to something you hope the people who uh see you attach your name to something step up to the plate and really kind of um you know give their best effort and uh, we're seeing that in the ultimate Shimoto show i see it in the outlaw nation the facebook page i see it in uh, the top 10 stuff you do for us so i mean honestly overall just like uh, i'm very happy that we are in each other's lives and I appreciate it. And so it was my joy to be on here as a season uh, for a season finale. And there's more to come. Hopefully there's more to come. Oh, you will be back. I just, I just, I need a break. I need a break. I'm freaking tired. <laughs> I haven't had a vacation yet. <laughs> a month to myself. Fair enough. Uh, very What's last, that like? <laughs> uh, I don't freaking know anymore. I'm supposed to be camping right now. But oh, supposed to be. It's, it's a long story, but let's just say the camping trip got canceled because coronavirus. Oh, um, coronavirus. How I like to end every show is I spend an hour pegging you with questions, so I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask me one question before we leave here. Damn. Just to level the playing field a little bit. Mm. One question of Mike Shea. Mm-hmm. This is where it always gets everybody. Do you have a vision for your final goal? I have a. Because I, I see you in twenty different places. Yes, I know. I'm Where a, is your actual vision, and do you have the balls or guts for the ladies who are listening to go after it? Um, I do have an end game of sorts. Um, it's been in the last year, and part this show was part of forming that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because I was tired of putting all my effort into my own sh- like like again with the podcast network i was running my own show but i was also yeah. trying to keep six other ones afloat right um and in the last year you know in the last in the last two years i have directed a written and directed a short film to winning two awards mm. i have um made more headway as far as what i like as as far as like my writing yeah um i've i've learned to prioritize a little bit better is, is what it comes down to the the end goal for me i know lies 
um, as a, as a, as a screenwriter, uh, producer, okay. director, those are the three things I enjoy the most. That's why I've, I've moved away from acting as I find myself with, with the short film in particular, you know, prior to that I had made several, but I was always writing, directing, acting, editing, producing, and, and when I finally just sat back and let myself just steer the ship. Yeah. And surround myself with people that I could trust. I found yeah. myself a lot happier. And, and so right now the, the current goal is just to kind of similar to you is, is get my, get my foundation laid. Yeah. Head out West and, and make an honest, make an honest career out of, out of the writing and the producing. Uh, there you go. I love it. But that's a that's a great usually usually i just get stupid shit like what's your favorite color or like <laughs> what's your dream what did steve ask i know he didn't ask what's your favorite color what did steve um, ask? he asked damn i don't remember he asked um He's a philosophical guy man oh he asked, he asked me about because he because we mentioned that i do stand up so he was yeah. asking me about what i saw as the future of of stand up mm -hmm. post corona Oh, um, like how, like how is it going to continue on to which I said, we we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're opening clubs back up in limited capacity, but it's just, it's the protocols, you know, you got a microphone being handed off by five, 10 people in a yeah. night. And it's just, it's, it's hard to say. Cause unlike, unlike music where you can practice the guitar out for an hour a day and yeah. become a master guitar player, you don't know what works in comedy until you do it in front of an audience. Right. Right. You need that instant feedback. So yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah, man. So John Roca, <laughs> so you've got your match dropping later tonight. Uh yeah. when the show drops against Ethan Irwin. You've got all kinds of crazy programming going on on the Outlaw Nation YouTube channel, that as well as the top ten show and the Cinephiles. Let's just if the people wanted to find you somewhere online, where, where can they go? At the Roca says is always the best place to go. R-O-C-H-A-S-A-Y-S. Come find me in, uh, in all my iterations there. Uh, and, uh, you know, come into my YouTube channel as well. YouTube.com uh, uh, slash the Roca says or John Roca says rather. Uh, that's the way to go about uh, getting to see where I'm at. So uh, everything is there. Everything hinges there. There you go, everybody. Follow him on Twitter, Instagram, for when he does occasionally post on there, YouTube. <laughs> uh, watch him in the Schmodown. Check out yeah. the Geek Buddies, the Cinephiles, the Top Ten Show, all of it. Um, and John Rocco, we look forward to what you do next, man. Thank you, Mike. All right, John. Have a good one, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Take care. All right, man. Well, guys, that is going to do it for this episode of The Basement Lounge. That'll do it for this episode and for this season. Season one of The Basement Lounge has finally come to a close. And I have never been more proud of this show than I have been lately. Yes, the last few weeks have been absolutely trying, pushing me to the brink of contemplating quitting this whole thing frustration can push you to a weird place into a weird mindset stress can take you to places you didn't think you could possibly go but when it all quiets down and when you come back to all all of this in the end once your emotions have balanced back out and you realize what a great thing what a fun and wonderful thing it is you're creating every week for all of you, it makes it all worth it. All the headaches, all the head scratches, all the late nights, it's all worth it.
And so that's why I continue to do this show. That's why I continue to make content. That's why I continue to be all over the place. Like we just talked about with John, I'm in 20 different places. I do a lot of things because I'm trying to lay that foundation. I'm trying to make a career in the creative, in the creative arts in some way as a writer, a producer, as a host, I just love creating. Even if one day a career takes off as a screenwriter or a director, I'll always have a podcast because I love doing this. And I love being able to talk one-on-one with our guests and talk one-on-one with all of you. The show wouldn't exist without all of you. So thank you for a great, wonderful first 50 episodes for a great first season. We will be back in September for season two with some new changes, some new things going on with the show. As I burp into the microphone (laughs) during my big, huge sign-off, we will be back and we'll be better than ever. And I hope you guys will stick around. Remember, we're still going to be doing our live streams on Wednesdays and Fridays on Twitch. We'll still be around. Just taking a break for, for a month so I can rest. But we'll be back. I hope you guys will be back with us. In the meantime, tell your friends, invite them in. The Basement Lounge is a place for everybody. Everyone's welcome here. The Basement Lounge is a place to have a conversation, have a drink, and have fun to find friendship, to find brotherhood, to find togetherness. That's why we're here. You guys are as much a part of this show as I am. And so thank you. And with that being said, as always, live well, rock on, take care, and bye-bye.